And welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast. It's Thursday, the 9th of September. Uh, I know it's Thursday, the 9th of September, actually, because, and we may, may talk about this a bit later, actually, it is actually the IPO day for VSA Capital. Uh, so it's sort of well and truly in my memory. Um, anyway, look, today we've got Phil back. He's come back from holiday. How was your holiday, Phil? It was very nice, Andrew. I had a very good time up in Scotland and uh, getting some golfing, and it was lovely. Oh, we let you have a good life here, don't we? You do. <laughs> anyway, whilst you're away, we did obviously do a special podcast that was uh, with uh, Johnson Matty and Sam French, who is their sort of hydrogen uh, guru around there. So um, we, we may touch on hydrogen again a bit later in this podcast, but actually just finishing off on the on the VSA IPO, we did, of course, IPO on the Acris Exchange, which we regard as the growth market in London and very much technology led and the way you um, do your admission documents and everything is done is it has a much more technological edge than the London Stock Exchange and of course by doing it using technology takes less time which is good less time means less money so that's one of the reasons why we're such a big fan Um, but that's probably enough on VSA Capital. Um, Now the other thing we've been doing this week which I think is relevant and uh, probably some people have followed a little bit about is we've been doing a roadshow with Infinity Energy Systems. Um, and it's been a fascinating roadshow, actually. I know, Phil, you've sat in some of the meetings as well. And it's been great to have Larry Zulch, the CEO, actually over from San Francisco to be able to talk face to face to people. And it's, do you know what? I'll tell you one thing. You learn so much more when you're sitting face to face with somebody than you do on a Zoom call. It's extraordinary. Um, but, you know, the things that have come up that I would highlight, and I'll be interested in your comments as well, Phil, are, you know, we started a lot of the meetings with the, the, trying to get into people's mindset that what Infinity has achieved now is that it's basically turned itself from a prototype company to a production company. And the difference between a prototype company and a production company is a prototype company makes specific machines or batteries or anything else that is tailor-made to the client's demand. A production company is more like the the Model T Ford where the client gets what you make. It comes off the assembly line and that's what you get, guys, and this is the price. And it's actually when you become a production company that you actually create the real value. And that's and if you look at, for instance, let's take Tesla. If you look at the share price of Tesla, it went nowhere whilst it was just a prototype company. But when it came up with its first production model and it said, that's what you get, guys, you know, take it or leave it, and that's the price you pay, the share price went ballistic. Truth is, Infinity Energy Systems is now, and it's happened, I would say, in the last few months, a production company. Uh, and, you know, we're also going to see their first systems go into the um, energy super hub Oxford. Uh, they're sort of there. They're just waiting to hand over the keys to uh, the controllers of the energy super hub Oxford. When they do that, you know, there it is. It's up and running. It's working. And I think the order book will absolutely open up and it will be quite stunning. But that was one of the things that really, uh, I thought was fascinating in the conversations we were having. What, what about Phil? Is there anything you you took away from that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, just for those who don't know, Infinity Energy Systems, corporate client of ours, the ticker is IES, uh, and the market capital is, is 100 million pounds, which, as we get into this, does to me seem extremely low. It's an energy storage technology company, so it has what's called flow battery technology. Um, and that battery technology can be used in the in, being widely used in the, in the grid. 
uh, where it has applications because if you've got, you know, the sun shines and then the sun goes in and you need the battery storage to, to back up the grid. So we've seen, you know, lithium systems used around the world, but this is a flow battery system. And what it does is it allows, it can charge and recharge over multiple cycles and over longer times than lithium. So it's, and it has a longer life as well. Now, why is this whole area of battery storage exciting? And what we talked about an awful lot is because, you know, there's a report from the California Independent Systems Operator. I don't know if you saw that, Andrew, it's this week. It's called CASO is the, the acronym for it. And Infinity is working with CASO in California. And they said last year that they had 550 megawatts of storage on its system. And that has grown now to one and a half thousand megawatts and expects it to top. 3,000 by the end of the year. So this whole area of battery storage. Uh, it's gigawatts, isn't it? Yeah, I'll that, tell you another story. Here's a little story, which again, listeners may not have heard. But the California Energy Commission actually ordered um, 100 megawatts of, of Tesla, basically, uh, lithium-ion batteries. And they were being shipped out of Shanghai around to California. This was, I think it was back in June. And as, unfortunately, lithium-ion batteries do, they caught fire on the ship when it was steaming towards California. And they couldn't put the fire out. So the captain basically turned the ship around back to Shanghai. Battery still burning. Uh, and they took all the batteries off, the whole bloody lot, and said, we're not, not touching any more. We're not putting any more lithium-ion batteries on our ships. Uh, and so, unfortunately, California was a little bit stuck, didn't get its batteries that it needs, needs badly. Uh, and I think it'd be fair to say, and we'll sort of watch this space, the California Energy Commission now needs to replace 100 megawatts worth of lithium-ion batteries with something they can actually get hold of. Yeah. Um, but again, you know what, Phil, I've been criticised a few times on this podcast for saying that certain companies are overvalued because they're just a, a science experiment. What I, uh-huh. This is the new word, actually. They're overvalued because they're just a prototype. What you've got to do is to get to get a real valuation is to be in production and to offer a standard product that you can just roll off the production line. And that, in my view, is why Invinity is so cheap. I'm going to tell you one other thing I picked up on this, this trip, and then we should perhaps move on. And that is, and I thought this was fascinating, actually, and it's come out of the whole sort of Siemens-Gamasa relationship that Invinity have, which which I don't think the market has realised just how massive the opportunity is here with Siemens-Gamasa, and it, it's going to be huge. But um, it was brought up in conversation about, you know, what the relationship was between ITM and Invinity Energy Systems, which a lot of people probably aren't totally aware there is a relationship there as well. But what the point is, is that clearly, you know, ITM, uh, with their fuel cells and the electrolyzer, are trying to create green hydrogen. And green hydrogen is what you need if you're going to be carbon free. Um, All the other colors basically are not carbon free. To create green hydrogen, you've got to have renewable energy. Now, that's fine. But if you're pushing, if you're running an electrolyzer and fuel cells off renewable energy, you've got to have a constant flow of that energy or else it messes up the whole thing. The only way to get a constant flow out of wind farms and solar is to have energy storage alongside it. And the reality is, this is why it seems, one of the things that Siemens and Mesa want to do is they know they've got to have the energy storage. So they're going to put all these Invinity flow batteries and actually it links basically Siemens and wind farms to the ITM electrolyzers and fuel cells. Invinity sit in the middle. Without them, it can't happen. Uh, now, look, one, somebody, somebody said, you know, well, when does ITM buy Invinity? And actually, Larry sort of went around. No, that's the wrong question. The question is, when do we buy ITM? Um, and it's when we, you know, it, it was a bit of a joke, by the way. But people have got to understand, actually, some of the complexities of this and just how valuable this part of the jigsaw puzzle really is. But that really hit home to me. ITM doesn't work without Invinity. Yeah. What a punchy statement, man. 
<laughs> you, you are, but uh, but uh, very very true, very very true. And uh, look, yeah, um, apologies, to listeners, if we're getting excited about about this whole area. Um, but you know, sooner or later, we're going to see in our uh, in our gas bills the latest impact of um, you know, there's been a global shortage of natural gas. Uh, this country, we've had calm weather, not enough wind being generated. Um, and we've actually, the UK's had to fire up one of its coal plants. So, you know, this um, we can see the impact of, of the change in the energy mix into the grid um, from renewables and, and see the need for battery storage. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Anyway, look, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking more because we always do, um, but it is such an important area. And obviously with these bills going through uh, Congress and the Senate in America, trillion dollar bills, the numbers are just incredible. Um, now, I'll tell you one other, moving on completely um, into a different area, maybe a bit random. Uh, I'm sure you've got things to talk about, Phil, too. Um, but I saw an intention to float from a company called Fugo. Did you see that one, Phil? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah, this is a cross-border e-commerce technology company. Yeah, and we, we, we we're very interested in cross-border e-commerce, aren't we? Um, uh, I mean, look, it's obviously we know that cross-border e-commerce is is um, going ballistic. Um, uh, I'm sure this, this is a Pamela Gordon float. I'm sure it'll be hugely successful. But, of course, it all relates to a certain extent back to our client, uh, Samarkand, doesn't it? it? Yes, it does. Yes who have a cross-border e-commerce um, platform, and they are serving the, the largest uh, global e-commerce market in China. Yeah, so I think, you know, what, what, I, what I suppose the point from this is, you know, I'm sure Frugo will be a very successful IPO. I'm sure it'll come at a massive rating. But what we're also seeing at the moment, I don't know if you spotted this, but a lot of these um, businesses that consolidate, shall we say, the marketplace to access things like the Amazon marketplace, there's also a massive amount of work you know, or, or transactions going on there. It's becoming a very crowded space, actually. Uh, but the multiples of these things are huge, aren't they? Yeah, oh, in terms of the valuations, yes, they are. Um, and, and that is because of the ability to scale them, Andrew. And, uh, I, you know, I think it's super that, with, you know, with Samarkand and obviously with this one, that investors have got an opportunity to be involved in the UK um, you know, in, in this whole area. But we've you, you go and, and look to the States and NASDAQ and, and look at Shopify um, and look how that, that scale globally as a business. And this is, yeah, this is why these things trade on trade on good multiples. Yeah, uh, at Samarkand, what it's worth, had their AGM this week, actually our board meeting room. Uh, but it's all fine. Um, uh, I, I think the news flow coming out of them towards the back end of this year could be very interesting. Uh, but we'll obviously have to wait and see uh, what they have to say. Um, but I think um, so far, everything they've done since IPO has been exceptionally good. And I think that will carry on. Good, good to hear. Anyway, OK, well, uh, what, what would you like to talk about, Phil? Come on, you've just been away on holiday for two weeks. Give us well, some well, inspiration. I've been, I've been <laughs> catching up on company results. And we'll get, we'll get into valuations here as well. Um, so let's look at, I mean, for instance, we had uh, interims out from Computer Center. Uh, ticker is uh, Treble CCC, and it's a four billion market cap company. It's one that we have talked about uh, before. And it's like, this is an IT services business. So, 
Um, they have uh, multinational clients um, and they provide well, IT services, right? So service desks, enterprise mobility, security solutions, software solutions, cloud communications, you know, you know, all those IT things that you need. What's quite interesting about computer sector is obviously businesses are coming back, they're spending money on IT. And, and uh, you know, as we discussed, Andrew, I think it's a cultural change through the pandemic, and that has been that across, right across organisations now, they really do appreciate the value of IT and what it can do. So spenders being coming back, um, and they report their interim revenue was up by 29%. I think most of that was organic uh, growth. Um, so, so a really strong sort of recovery and spend from clients there. And their profit before tax went up even further. That was up. Uh, that was up by fifty nine percent. Now this sort of getting on to um, onto valuations here, things this this trades on an EV revenue multiple of 0.5 times, an EV EBITDA of ten times. But the gross margin is thirteen percent. So so with something like this, it's on a lower it's on lower multiples, but then it's on it's generating lower margins. But what's been interesting about this one and why we've commented on it is this you know in terms of recovery play and and, and as the the economy itself uh, recovers as well and and again what caught my eye with this is how well they've been doing despite despite all of the um the supply issues around it kit semiconductors you know you name it logistics issues so i thought that was a good set of good, good set of numbers from them mm, they're up three percent today so the markets obviously agree with you uh, and actually, they're up about 22% since the start of the year. But again, actually, if you look at a, a chart going back to 2017, which was some way before we entered the pandemic, though they were they were down at sort of um, uh, 10,000. They're now at 30,000. Uh, so it's been a really nice performer, actually. And it's it clearly got momentum behind it. So I, I would agree and endorse everything you say there, Phil. Yeah, OK. Moving on to something that's valued on far higher multiples. Uh, frontier developments, the ticker is FDEV. Uh, it's a billion market cap, and this is a games developer. Now, they generate a gross margin of 63%, and it trades on EV to revenue multiple of 7.4 times. Um, uh, EV EBITDA of 19 times. So, but the market's forecasting, if you look on, um, on Bloomberg, 18% growth for this. Now, they've reported uh, full-year results. Uh, remember, it's computer gaming. Um, so, you know, during the pandemic and coming out of it, there's been a lot of spend in this area and their revenues are up 19% and their operating profits kind of tracking that up 20% and generating a margin of 22%. So, and they've got, what you're looking for gaming companies, Andrew, is, this, you know, it's not only increasing in, in, in overall usage, but but it's it's um, new games coming out uh, and a spread of new games, you're not necessarily relying on one franchise. And they've announced a number of launches uh, that are coming, you know, coming out ahead, which will drive momentum. But you can see how, you know, valuations often work, and and you know something like this is on on these sort of multiples because of these these margins. But 18% EP, you know, EPS growth, it's on a P of 38 times. So yeah, you know, it's it lost to 10 P today, and actually it hasn't been a great performer for the last couple of years, or so the last so like the last year or so. Mm. Uh, actually, uh, but I mean, it's been a ten bagger since 2017. So don't get me wrong. I tell, are, are they? Have they got exposure to, to China? Because obviously China is cracking down on the amount of time that children can play these video games, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. And I don't know if they do have Android. I'll be frank. I'm not sure. But uh, I don't know. 
I mean, it, it's obviously, you know, China is um, going through quite a cultural change. Um, President Xi Jinping, who's, who's done an incredible job, really, when you think about it, um, is just changing the culture of China to sort of get away from, I, I suppose, um, certain Western habits, which he feels aren't appropriate for for the Chinese people, which is fully understandable, by the way. And video gaming, he doesn't want too much of that. You know, he's trying to get away from some of this excessive after-school teaching, uh, and also moving some of the wealth away from the super rich into the into the the less rich. You know, a lot of it actually is very sensible sort of stuff. Um, but obviously, it's going to have an impact on certain companies. And I just wonder whether that is on true with frontier development. Yeah, don't know the answers to that one, but uh, yeah, something to uh, for investors to take a look at. Another one which we've uh, again we've discussed is Midwich. Uh, ticker on that is MIDWM. It's 540 million market cap. Um, and Midwich are involved in supplying uh, businesses, uh, many thousands. They've got something like 20,000 customers with uh, audiovisual, uh, AV equipment, printers, digital signage, sound equipment. And of course, even in our office, Andrew, we've got our screens up and of course our broadcast equipment that we use for, for podcasts. But that's the sort of kit that. Uh, Midwich um, supplies and it's you know, brands like Bosch and Sony. Uh, they have interim results now. Um, as we've been coming out of the pandemic and people are getting back into offices, they are obviously starting to spend uh, spend money. But they, you know, big displays are used, for instance, in in you know as we know for corporate presentations, but also in education. Um, and in, in, in the entertainment sector. So they're kind of markets that, uh, that they're into. But they've seen um, their sort of sales grow by 29% and they're six months to June. So you remember they're comparing this with June of 2020, the period, the six months ending then. And that covered, you know, the real crash in terms of, of, of COVID and demand. And so sales recovered by 29%, gross profits tracking ahead of that up 35%. And they moved, they made an operating loss in that period of June 20. And no surprise, given just how bad the environment would have been for a business like this. And they moved into an operating profit of uh, 7.6 uh, million pounds. So a nice, nice recovery in growth. And as I say, we kind of highlighted this one before. But looking at again on valuations, Andrew, um, the gross margin for this is just under 16%. So it's you know, low versus, for instance, something like Frontier Developments is making 63%. So on an EV to revenue multiple of point, uh, 0.76 times 0.71. But the forecasts on Bloomberg are for 22% EPS growth and the P is 22 times. That's a peg of one, which, you know, if you look at that, that, that ratio of P to growth is always, you know, investors look for a multiple of kind of one or less, so a reasonable yeah, at an interesting level. Pegs? I mean, this is, this is going back to fundamentals, Phil. Thank you. Are you telling me the markets can go back to sensible valuations again, not not just sort of multiples of revenue? It's no fun at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it no, isn't, but fortunately, that's what those analysts do every now and again. So, so no, no volume at all today in, in Mitchwich. I mean, it, it's gone completely... It clearly has either a very, very stable shareholder base, should we say, uh, or hasn't a- attracted the interest of, of investors today. Although the market's a pretty horrible data, that has to be said. Yeah, yeah. So that's, and then the, just one final one from me, 
um, is Gamma Communications. Um, and this is two billion market cap, particular is GAMA. Uh, and again, this is all about it, it's IT to businesses, and what they they provide to businesses is is high speed um, comms network, um, uh, got cabling for want of a better word, but connections. These are called SIP trunks, um, and they do hosted uh, IP voice systems. So things like you know we've got an internal switchboard here, Andrew, um, but they they offer that as a as a, as a cloud based system. Uh, they provide mobile services, but they serve a vast range of SME businesses, uh, UK, Germany, and Spain, um, and they had their interim results. And these were quite interesting. And the market reacted on these if you look at the share price chart. Um, and Gamma's enjoyed a really, really good, uh, uh, good run. It makes gross margins of 50 percent. You know, and uh, and it makes it's got good high profit margins. So there's a lot in here to to like in terms of Gamma's sort of core metrics, you know, financial metrics, and it has very high recurring revenues. So looking at these interim results, um, they saw their revenues up 23%, gross profit up 20%. You know, all nicely double digit uh, increases there, and a high cash generation. But it's quite interesting, you know, within that. There are acquisitions. There's been they've made acquisitions, so you always have to kind of strip that out. Look at the organic levels of growth to try to get a feel for what what's happening. Um, and of the uh, turnover, of 270 million. 130 of that was from UK, sort of indirect. We've got a huge distribution network they use for UK SMEs naturally, uh, but that was up nine percent, and the gross margin was up seven percent. So. I, I just wonder if investors felt there'd already been a kind of upgrade on this one that it just, you know, a bit of a pause for breath, as they say, because if you look at their valuation, high gross margins, right? But it's on EV to NR uh, revenue multiple of four times, falling to uh, 4.4 times one to four, but eight and a half percent EPS growth forecast. This is on Bloomberg, uh, and a P of 34 times falling to 29.7. So, well, you know, I've said this to you before, Phil. Why didn't you tell me this about 10 years ago? Because it's been a 10-bagger since 10 years ago. Um, it goes from the bottom left-hand of the chart at about 200p to the top right-hand chart at currently 2100p. So you've got to tell me about these things earlier, Phil. But we should have met earlier, Andrew. This is the problem. <laughs> That's what Phil say. Thank you. Well, I started this a year and a half ago, so we should have met some time ago because I've known that company for a while. So that's that's most of it from me. Uh, we are in September. There will be more um, interim results coming through from the market. So uh, and we're quite keen to look at those and see how you know that they're, they're reflecting what's happening in the economy because i think right now investors have got sort of two things on their mind and you correct me andrew i mean firstly it's inflation is that going to be lasting um but then it's the pace of growth going forward you know we've come to a very sharp pace of growth because we've been recovering from um you know the covid led recession but it's like what what's going to happen ahead of that in terms of growth and sustaining growth yeah, look, I think the market is, um, you know, everybody's come back in September thinking, whoa, let's go again with the market. But one of the problems that I always remind people on, on the market in general is that for the last 12 months, you know, institutions haven't suddenly thought, hey, let's support every single deal and everything's cheap. Let's go for every IPO just because suddenly everything changed. Actually, what happened was that they, they had a huge inflow of funds into their funds 
Um, and, you know, they're not paying to manage cash. So they had all this cash. They had to put it in the market. So that's why they were happy to support all the deals. That inflow of, of cash into the funds has slowed right down. So now, effectively, when a fund manager has a deal come along, he's got to say, look, I could take this deal, but I probably have to sell something in order to fund it. And that's a very different decision to what he's had to do in the last 12 to 18 months. And so we are unfortunately going to see, you know, these, these days of stock prices doubling almost overnight really probably are, are finished. You may see stocks coming off because people are selling because they just see it as boring for the next 12 months, which is really disappointing. It's very unfair on the company, but it will happen. Uh, the only thing that will actually against that and where I do think we are going to see a lot of M&A activity. I mean, no, I can't say what, but we have M&A deals on our books. I, I talked to a lot of the other CEOs of the big brokers around town because uh, I've known them a long, long time. And I can tell you they've got deals on their books um, and th there's going to be a lot of M&A activity. And so picking stocks that could get bid for was key. I mean, you know, there was a big one today. It hasn't actually been bid for, but EasyJet came out. Uh, this is an interesting conundrum, nothing really to do with technology. Well, I'll, I'll put a technology spin on the end of it all. But, you know, they came out today and said, we're, we're raising 400 million or something in a rights issue. Well, maybe it was more than that. I can't remember. Um, very heavily discounted rights issue, by the way. Um, and they sort of put a spin on it at the end to get everybody to come in and take stock was that, oh, and by the way, we had a bid approach. It wasn't high enough, from, you know, rumored to be with air. Um, quite a crafty way to get people to invest. But I think that is the sort of thing you're, you're going to see. You are going to see that sort of M&A activity um, and people may use it in order to raise money uh, as EasyJet have done. What's interesting, I can tell you, I mean, I, I nothing to do with technology, but I follow the, the, the travel industry very, very closely. I have done for sort of 40 years. Um, and all of these travel companies are going to come around and ask for more money, I'm afraid, because it's been a disastrous summer, really, and, and they struggled during the winter. The one stock that amazes me, it, it's had about four profits warnings, but they sort of claim that because they're so regular with their profits warnings, it's actually just underlying trading. It's bizarre. Is On the Beach. On the Beach is a technology travel agent, basically. Um, uh, it's actually up today when all the other travel stocks are down. Uh, I really cannot understand On the Beach and why it is valued at what it is, um, because it is basically just a travel agent. Um, Anyway, that was a little bit of a rant, completely off-piste. Sorry about that. That's all very valid comment. I, 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 I think, and particularly on the M&A front, there is, um, yeah, I mean, the US, obviously, we've, we've been talking about the US money that's coming in, uh, looking at UK companies, um, and privately, uh, the record levels of activity in, in M&A, and of course, we've got huge amounts of money sat there in private equity funds uh, to, to be deployed. Um, and new funds getting raised in private equity as well. So, yeah, that's... Uh... Actually, I'll finish up sort of talking private equity. I'll finish up with one more thing. We probably ought to come to a close. Um, and it's a combination of factors put together. But I see the IP group, which we've talked about quite a lot and I I've been a big fan of, it's now got up to about 150p. Uh, there was also a very good float of a company called Forward Partners, came out of Liberum, actually, um, that was floated at a pound, and they've now got to 117 and a half. But the concept of, of, of a lot of these, and it's sort of all to do with Frontier IP, Draper Esprit, Mercia, we're more and more we're seeing these funds or, or, or ways to make, become a point of a venture capital sort of GPLP into early stage tech in order to get exposure. Because as an individual to invest in one early stage technology company, you are running one hell of a risk. But to be able to invest in a portfolio is very attractive. 
And, you know, obviously a lot of these groups, they all invest at slightly different stages. Um, uh, we're looking at one called Superseed, whether there's something we can do there. They're very early stage. But, you know, if you get one at very early stage, correct, my goodness me, you're going to make a lot of money. Uh, it's a very interesting space at the moment to look at these funds of basically venture capitals. And I think there's quite a lot of money to be made on them. Yeah, there is. As you say, it's a super way of getting exposure to um, to earlier stage businesses without necessarily having the risk of in, you know investing in in one at a time. Uh, and it's very very encouraging, I I think, because you know getting getting uh, access to investment for early stage companies is is can often be a challenge. So um, I think it's good to see. And on that note, we'll call it a day. Uh, as I always say, if anybody's got any uh, thoughts on our podcast, please let us know. Anybody wants us to go and look at anything or talk about anything, please let us know. And great to have you back, Phil, although I'm going to carry on searching for special guests because it is quite fun doing a special guest one. It is. Well, hi, Andrew.